and welcome to Darker Days, episode number 32, the Darker Days Holiday Special. Today, I am, of course, joined by Mark and Chris, the two usual hosts, and as well, a special guest host returning from his uh, adventures in classic Dungeons & Dragons, Vince. What's up, Vince? What up? I am here. Hey, Vince. Welcome back, man. It's been a long time. Got to see the uh, the show's still going on, Mark. Yeah, well, uh, we've 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 done well. We've done well. Um, two great new hosts, doing strong. For those of you who don't know, uh, Vince was the original captain of the Darker Day ship, co-founder, co-host back in the day. And if you haven't heard those episodes, uh, where were you? They're also available for download on our, on our website. Um, so, what have you been up to, Vince? What's been keeping you busy? Well, right now, I was uh, I'm actually involved with three podcasts. Like uh, Mike said, uh, I got the classic Dungeons and Dragons podcast and a first edition's uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons podcast, and I'm producing a second edition one as we speak as well. So, <laughs> that's wow, like some great old school goodness going on there. Yeah, someone approached me to do a vampire podcast, but I said, uh, "No, there's already darker days, so I'm not doing that." Hey, well done. Yeah. <laughs> and as you I said, killed them. Yeah. If you notice on Twitter, whenever you guys have a new show up, I throw it up. We do. Yeah, uh, we're really grateful for that. Uh, let pop up on our feed, so that, that's great to see. Cool. So, yeah, what's up with everyone? Um, I've had some cool stuff going on, actually. I uh, didn't mention this last time we had a full episode, but I purchased a tablet, which is pretty Ooh. sweet. And I've been using that to read oh, lots nice. of PDFs, uh, mostly for school, because I didn't want to buy any textbooks this semester. Best way to go. Yeah, definitely. What kind of tablet did you pick up? Uh, it's a good question, Chris. It's a, uh, it's this cheap Chinese knockoff. Uh, <laughs> I, I like to say that I bought it from the back of a truck. Right. Excellent. You know, does it does it work? Yeah, yeah. it does. It's uh, oh, I actually bought it from Amazon, and it had pretty good reviews, and it was fairly cheap. I got it for like one seventy or so. Uh, they oh. called it the Hero Tab C8, but when I turn it on, it calls itself the High Tab. So. <laughs> Who knows what's going on? But uh, yeah, actually, my parents also got a, a Kindle Fire, which is pretty slick as well. Ah. Those are nice. Yeah, they're very sweet. I'm kind of eyeing that one up to get for my uh, wife. That I think that would be pretty decent when it finally lands here in deepest, darkest Germania. Um, cool. So you're you're all moved now, right? You're you're done with the. I I'm the currently or? in. The uh, cell block, whatever it is. No, it's uh, it's all right. It could, be, it could be a lot worse. It could be a lot worse. Of all the places I've ever lived, this is actually okay. So we have a, a nice double bed, um, a fancy corner cush- uh, sofa thing going on and full crockery and everything. It's just oh, in case it's stuff. Sunday and nothing is open on a Sunday in Germany. Nothing. And mm. all we had in to eat tonight was some bread and some chicken so feel like prisoners right now no worst yeah no no worst no we had chocolate we have some german chocolate but no no brat worst um shame yes so yeah i start work uh, officially on thursday in my new position nice 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 well i've got my uh Pathfinder game off the ground again last week, and we we'll were picking it up again on on Tuesday. Um, haven't run any more major on Skype recently, and uh, you'll be interested to know, Vince. I did a um, first edition uh, a game a little while back. Um, yeah, it was, 
an enormous amount of fun. Very, very, uh, very, very enjoyable. So I could very happily get back and do some more of that soon. Hey, cool. More the more the merrier. Jump on the boat. Yeah, indeed. And uh, with that, let's move on over to the mailbag segment. And that- um, <laughs> so we got a couple of mails. Um, wait, 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 wait. I thought Mark had his refreshing finger for this segment. Did it break, Mark? Oh, my refreshing figure has, has, has moved on to an executive position now. Uh. <laughs> gotcha. <clears throat> right, right. Okay, so one mail we got is from Christopher, who was telling us about, uh, because we mentioned that there are German-only Vampire the Masquerade and Dark Ages Vampire books, uh, he actually told us uh, that he got some of the PDFs when he was living over there, and... Um, uh, Chris, uh, could you pronounce some of this, some of these book titles, perchance? Okay, so the list of books that um, apparently were the um, the German ones were Frankfurt by Nacht, uh, Wien by Nacht, um, uh, Berlin by Nacht, and Reichgold Aachen by Nacht. So I hope I pronounced that well. Um, yeah. <laughs> if I completely garbled that, then you know what are they going to do? I've only been in the country for what three days, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> I see in the show notes here that it says Berlin by Nacht was rewritten with fewer John Cobb bondage Nazis. I'm not entirely sure that's an improvement. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, that there's that one piece of artwork. Uh, maybe I can find oh, it and put oh. in the show notes, like a link to with it. All- it's with all really the swastikas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I know of the piece of art, and it's... Yeah, I can't believe that was done. Yeah, it's like that. Uh, these books over in... And if, I'm moving to Texas. I'm, if people are familiar with me, I lived in Pennsylvania. Now I'm moving to Texas. There's a ton of half-price bookstores there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you guys have that over in the UK and Germany. I'm not sure. But so, um, yeah. 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 Second-hand right. bookstores, yeah. Yeah, and there was a bunch. I mean, Texas must love... World of Darkness, because there was a ton of vampire stuff there, and these books were on the shelf. Someone must have printed them up and sold them. Mm, nice, nice. I didn't wow. know what they saw them. I'm like, German books? Okay. Yeah, there was. There, I think there was a couple of French ones, too. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, I've been trying to get uh, Matt McElroy to, or, or someone over in White Wolf as well, to, to get them to translate these, maybe, and just bring them over to a the English-speaking world, because I think it'd be pretty cool. Uh, just get some new ideas and, and new books, and it'll be a lot easier than just making entirely new material. Yeah. Yeah, some of these are supposed to be quite strong as well, uh, so it'd be nice to see, especially for people that wanted to run games in Europe. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd be totally interested in a Frankfurt by Night uh, translation, not only to run World of Darkness stuff, but I've um, one of my things of trying to get ready for a new gaming group is um, looking at running uh, Cthulhu Tech. And so I'm oh, using cool. Frankfurt as the the um, the mega as the mega the main location because it's one of the mega cities in the setting. And I thought, hey, giant mechs and Cthulhuids, de- demonic monstrosities in Europe sounds kind of fun. So yeah, I'd be more than happy then for a uh, Frankfurt by night translation purely just for the history. Mm, definitely. Hmm. Cool stuff. All right, and we got another message from Adrian Stagg, and uh, <laughs> he uh, he told us one cool thing is that the most recent Magic: The Gathering expansion has these two-sided werewolf cards, and it's kind of similar yes. to the uh, old Rage CCG. 
which is oh, pretty neat. cool. And it's nice to see that they're uh, uh, kind of looking back at that game and taking some of the ideas. And uh, Magic has also been uh, accused for, uh, or Wizards of the Coast has been accused that uh, they came out with a vampire expansion right after the vampire card game was oh. canceled. So, uh, oh, falsely done. Too. No, we're not good. <laughs> Adrian also said that he hopes that the imbued are not in Hunters Hunted 2.0. And I, while he gave some very good arguments about this in the email, um, he's clearly wrong. And that's <laughs> no, <that>. he's not. Wrong. <laughs> why is he wrong? I want to hear the both sides of this one. Come on, Mark, tell me why. Okay, the imbued, the imbued shouldn't be in Hunters Hunted 2.0 because they represent a. Uh, a power level that's slightly in advance of the of the kind of classical image of the vampire hunter, be it government, be it individual, be it private, be it whatever. Right. There, there you go. That's, that's kind of 30 words or less. Well, Mark, I clearly disagree. If you look at <laughs> Hunter's Hunted 2.0, you'll see the likes of Caiaphas Smith, the vampire hunter, mm -hmm. who's like a ghoul for the past God knows how many years. You got the Youngbloods, which are a ghoul biker gang. You've got these government super agents with thaumaturgy, or not thaumaturgy, with uh, with Numina and all this other stuff. It's really, it's just as magically powered as uh, Hunter the Reckoning is. Yeah. Okay, there you go, Vince. There's the arguments. Wow. I <laughs> think <laughs> <laughs> they needed to make a Hunter's Hunter 2.0, so... Okay. All right. Cool. And uh, that's it for the mailbag. So let's uh, move on over to the White Wolf News segment. All right, so White Wolf has had quite a bit of stuff going on that we haven't reported on because we haven't had that many episodes. So, uh, first up is that the World of Darkness moderated chats are going to reopen. They're going to have a venue for uh, Classic World of Darkness, which is going to be the new Bremen revisited. And they're also going to have a uh, new World of Darkness chat, uh, which I do not believe has a city title. And they're going to be run by Ian Watson, who's one of the moderators over at the White Wolf message board. So that's definitely pretty cool. Did White Wolf yeah. decide that going backwards in time was better than going forward in time? <laughs> uh, I, think, I think they're trying to, they're trying to do both. So uh... <laughs> Let's take everything that worked 20 years ago and make it work now. <laughs> Uh, kind of. I mean, they've definitely done some updates to it with, uh, like, V20. Uh, they've, they've pushed it forward in time. Uh, yeah. and, and they're making it more timeless, if you look in that, uh, in that product. Like, uh, you can choose which Gehenna events have occurred. Um, and you can just completely ignore them if you want to. Along with the V20, and I already, I told, uh, Eddie Webb about this, I made my own version of D10 for Demon 10 Years. I have oh, to show oh, you guys. Cool. I made a, a custom book cover and everything for it, and uh, I gave a sneak peek to Eddie Webb, and he thought it was really cool. So hopefully he doesn't steal the idea when they actually use it. <laughs> no, that's oh, awesome. That. That'll be fun. Yeah, I have to show you that when I get the. It's coming in the mail. It's going to take another couple of days. Oh, fantastic. Sweet. Yeah, there is huge, huge interest in uh, rewriting Demon because it just didn't have a good chance to really grow like the other game lines did. It was all out for like three, four months, and then they obviously brought out the Time of Judgment. Is it so? It's it was a very small time frame, wasn't it, between the release? Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. It was meant for the whole Time of Judgment anyway. So yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. 
So let, let's have the uh, the big news that the uh, the elephant in the room. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So um. Well, we'll just give some background. We found out over the summer that uh, CCP had uh, some pretty huge debt going on. I think it was something like eighty percent of their their total worth. So we knew they were going to have to do something. And what did occur was they had some layoffs. But don't worry, because uh, CCP Transmedia, which is led by Eddie Webb and Rich Thomas, uh, were were virtually untouched. Um, so they're still still chugging away. And, and they're, the guy, they're the guys doing the White Wolf uh, material that we're seeing coming out in PDF and print. Exactly, yes. So they're fine, and the uh, World of Darkness MMO took some hits. Uh, they, they laid off a number of people, but a lot of the folks that were also working on White Wolf products are uh, being retained as freelancers. Uh, so yeah. that's good. It means they're still going to have some involvement, and uh, hopefully we can see them again in the future working on White Wolf products or the MMO as well. Right, whenever that comes back on the front banner again. And uh, Vince, you also mentioned that uh, Sword and Sorcery Studios was up for sale recently. I was completely unaware of that. Yeah, it wasn't really up for sale, so to speak, in a way it was, because I was involved in trying to purchase it at one point. Oh, that's cool. Wow. That explains the reason why they were so anxious to uh, get a bid on it now. Now I know why. <laughs> this is the old line that ran, released the D20 stuff uh, under White Wolves. Yeah, yeah. Okay, creature catalog and that kind of stuff. Yep. Okay. Scarred Lands. Yes, that's right. Yeah. A couple of their books. Some more stuff coming out from the fans themselves is uh, there's a, a VTES European vidcast called Cause and Effect. And they've already got six episodes up and they've been around for probably about two months. So that's pretty huge. They're really uh, putting out a lot of content. So if you're interested in that, we'll put a link in the show notes. It'll be interesting to see. VTS is really cool. Played the hell out of that back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing is uh, there's actually a blog for the Arcadia Wild Hunt CCG, which was the Changeling the Dreaming uh, card game, which came out in the mid-90s. Um, so that's pretty cool, and it's good to see that people are supporting that. So we'll also put a, a link to that in the show notes. Great. Cool. And the other thing I just want to mention is uh, they've had a whole lot of uh, print-on-demand stuff coming out. Uh, for the old World of Darkness and new. Uh, and one thing I just got in the mail a couple of days back is the Dust to Dust. Oh, I haven't ordered one yet. Mm. Yeah. Uh, pretty awesome. And it's full color, which is oh, nice. sweet. What, to say the, the interiors too? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow, nice. Uh, it's got full color artwork. All of the chapter headers are in the green marble, which is definitely cool to see. Yeah. And it also oh, has some right. classic, like, John Cobb artwork and... Uh, uh, like the original drawing of Juggler from from the uh, first edition of Vampire the Masquerade. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty sweet. And yeah, pretty I really, I've only read about half of it, but I really like the setup. And uh, I haven't done too much with the uh, SAS format, but I really like how this is set up. Uh, it gives you a lot of uh, small scenes, but it also gives you a nice flow chart for how you can uh, set them up. And... Yeah, it's just great. I, I'd be pretty excited to uh, run this soon. Cool. Uh, that's one I want to get. I, my copy of V20 arrived a couple of weeks ago, and I haven't finished going through that yet, which is fantastic. We're going to have to do a full full feature-length review on the, on the yeah. physical version of that. But um, seeing, seeing uh, Dust to Dust, that would be great. That would be really good. Cool. 
I'm interested to see how the difference is what they did with V20. Yep. Yeah, yeah. There's um, there's there's a show and a half uh, of material there. I think <laughs> so. We'll, uh, put a, a pause on that until next time. But yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely worth it, worth a look. All right, and I think that's it for the uh, White Wolf news. So let's move on over to the secret frequency. Okay, cool. So, the secret frequency. This week, we're going to have a, uh, a bit of a Christmas theme. Um, as this is, a, this is a special Christmas show. So, there's two things. And the first one is a interesting creature, which may be uh, good to drop into games, known as the Krampus. Oh. The Krampus is a mythical creature uh, recognized in Alpine countries, and according to legend, he accompanies Saint Nicholas during the Christmas season, warning and punishing bad children. Whereas, of course, Saint Nicholas is there giving gifts to good children. Um, and in particular, the Krampus will find any naughty child, uh, particularly naughty ch children, and not just frightens them, but will. Uh, take them away in its sack and uh, will devour them for its Christmas meal. So to put this into context, uh, Saint Nicholas uh, has a... Uh, the patron saint day for Saint Nicholas is the 5th of December. Or, and it's on that evening or the day after which is when Krampusnacht is. So on the, on the night of Saint Nicholas Day is Krampusnacht and that's when children should fear the uh, demonic creature known as the Krampus and that fear that he might come along and take them away in his sack. Apparently he roams the street also frightening children with rusty chains and bells. So yeah, that is the Krampus. Um, kind of depictions of the Krampus is his kind of goblin, kind of troll-like with big horns and uh, shaggy hair and cloven feet. The Krampus uh, actually exists in the Dutch uh, folklore surrounding St. Nicholas, which, as you said, on the 5th of December in Holland, they call it Sinterklaas. And yes. he's, he's accompanied by um, Black Peters, Friar Peter, they're called in Dutch. And mm -hmm. these are, uh, they're, they're supposed to represent his Moorish um, Arab Moor servants. Um, so when, you know, you get your guy dressed up as Santa Claus or Sinterklaas in Holland, you also get a whole bunch of other people who come with him, and they've dressed up um, in blackface with uh, exaggerated uh, late medieval costumes, kind of, you know, flowery, blooming pantaloons and shirts. And their job is exactly as this Krampus's job is. The job of the, of the Srata Peter is to capture the bad children in sacks. They beat them with, uh, with uh, birch sticks and take them back off to Spain, where St. Nicholas comes from, um, to serve the Sinter slaves. Yeah. Um, and it's not something that just kind of sits in the back of the folklore. In the in the Sinterklaas period in Holland, you'll see the Sint and all of his Sraita Peter out in the streets, so people will dress up as it, and it's a huge part of the culture, and there's all the Christmas songs that the Dutch have. 90% of them contain warnings to kids to be careful, or Pete's going to get you and take you away in his sack. So, in, you know, I grew up in, in Holland, uh, and so this Krampus story—it's it's part of the kind of the Christmas lore that you grow up with. Uh, it's a real, living, vibrant part of the culture over there. Uh, so, to turn that into something 
uh, horrific is, I think, a fantastic angle. Uh, and if, if you're a Dutch gamer or a Dutch listener, um, if you tie in the images of the Sprite Peter on street corners chasing naughty kids for laughs, um, you know, which is normally it'll be high school kids who dress up as the Pete, uh, and they'll go and chase the uh, the preschoolers around or the uh, the primary school kids around for a joke. Give that a, a sinister twist, and you've got something really rather unpleasant going on in a, in a normal urban neighborhood. So, uh, yeah, great find there, Chris. That was a really cool one. My grandparents used to tease us with this uh, whole thing when we were kids, saying that uh, that Krampus would come with the Indian lady and take us away. They say they would do it. If we were bad kids, they would beat us and they would hang us outside by our thumbs, and the Krampus would come <laughs> with the Indian lady in the middle of the night and take our souls. Wow. Fantastic. Horrific <laughs> thing to be told. You guys have the most depressing Christmases ever. It's <laughs> a great picture. You go to Krampus.com. There's a great picture of uh, the Krampus stuffing the children inside of a bag as they're trying to get away. Who is Krampus? The free Krampus e cards, and it gives you history and videos and just a little oh, swag. That's wicked. Sorry, yeah, I just looked it up. It's brilliant. That should yeah. go in the show notes. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, definitely. Now, you um, said you had another one there, Chris. Well, another story. Um, should we just quickly look at obvious ways that you can apply the Krampus to games? Oh, yes, uh, yes. What if I, what if let, let's go with the no-brainer, Changeling. Any ver- version of Changeling, it's a no-brainer. It's one of the Fey Lords. Um, it's you know for Changeling of the Lost, it's a perfect. Um, it's a perfect one of the Fey. You know to write up as a character, just to come about stealing children, and of course, um, it would make a perfect antagonist. Uh, for the Winter Courts in Changing the Lost. Or, even worse, if you wanna if you wanna go down that route, it could well be the Krampus is a kind of like a um, a persona that Winter Courtiers take on. It could be actually a, a role that the Winter Courtiers use in order to reinforce the fear of the Fey in humans. Um, which is kind of like then it kind of uh, parallels the the fear of the Fae, which the um, the Scarecrow Ministry, which is part of the Autumn Court, they also perform a similar role in that manner. So that's my immediate thoughts on what you could use the Krampus for in games. Um, any other ideas for the other games? Paradox Spirit, absolutely, would work as a great great Paradox Spirit in Mage, I think. Uh, yeah. Especially if you have if you have a Mage who's grown up in a uh, an Alpine or a Germanic or a Dutch tradition. Uh, mm. His hobgoblins could manifest as, uh, as a Krampus, or when a paradox spirit manifests to carry him away, it's the Krampus with a big sack waiting to get him. You know, these kind of uh, Teutonic Order of Hermes figures, big, high, mm. mighty wizards re- reduced to kind of, you know, sniveling wrecks at the sight of the Krampus. So, yeah, that'd be kind of fun. <laughs> I think it could also work well if you're playing in the Werewolf game, either, you know, Forsaken or Apocalypse, um, as servants of a primordial Christmas spirit. Uh, some kind of ancient manifestation of the solstice, uh, kind of a whole court of creatures surrounding him, and the Krampus could be one of these. So it could be someone that you have to encounter or deal with or bargain with or what have you, find Chimanish for in either of the Wolf games. Could work well there. Yeah, it would actually, um, on the idea of the idea of a, of a spirit, it would also um, act quite well um, as a spirit that could be uh, bartered with by something like the Circle of the Crone for Vampire. Mm. You know, you could have it just sat there. You could just imagine a bunch of vampires trying to get favors from it. And what are they giving in return? <laughs> Some naughty children they've grabbed off the streets. Horrific idea for vampires to be doing, but 
that would be quite well. kind of amusing. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay, so the other story, um, which is that I, I put up a, I obviously emailed you guys a whole load of um, of stories that are in and around uh, of the UK of that are, that are to do with like ghost stories of the UK. So I think again, if we can put up some of these on the show notes, but I'll go with my favourite, which is of Beaumere Pool. So, a Shropshire village just south of Shrewsbury was apparently destroyed uh, on Christmas Eve, um, somewhere sometime around about maybe 10, 11 hundreds. It's a bit a dubious when. Many of the villagers are said to have rejected Christianity and turned to the old gods. Leading up to to um, to, to uh, Christmas Eve, for all those nights there were there was much rain, and this eventually flooded the town and swept it away. And so where the village used to sit is Beaumere Pool. And it's said that on Christmas Eve, if you are crossing the lake in a boat, um, you can actually hear the ringing of the Sanctus Bell beneath the waters. Ah, excellent. <laughs> now, related to this tale is one of uh, that's earlier, apparently similar, or is the original source of the story, is that of a Roman city that initially sat in the same location and again suffered the same fate for the same region uh, for the same reasons now this oh, is all wow. in Shrewsbury apparently in Hallam Nottinghamshire there is a similar case of a haunting where you can hear the this sanctus bell being rung on Christmas Eve but the village wasn't uh, swept away and flooded no in fact the village was buried um, so, yeah, there you go. That's, um, and before we finish, I'm going to go with my with one more, very quick. This one I think is hilarious. Um, Dewsbury Parish Church in Yorkshire rings out the bell uh, on Christmas Eve, and they ring out the bell for the exact number of years since Christ's birth, and they have to finish <laughs> ringing the bell before midnight. Or else the devil will come and cause havoc. Wow. They've never failed yet. But they... How do you get started but... on something like that? <laughs> I know. At some point, somebody thought this would be a really good idea. That's so, um, so, yeah, what, do you, what kind of uses do you have for that kind of, those stories? Again, I think um, my initial kind of ideas would be something like uh, Geist. For, if you, when you've got a ghostly village like that, um, the idea that that there may be something that you need to retrieve that's linked to the history of that village, and the only way to get there is to go into like the ghostly reflection of yes. that village. And so, so when you were to say travel through an Avernian gate, say the Avernian gate is in the middle of the lake, and you hear the sanctus bell at the right moment, then the gateway opens up. You're into the underworld, and there is this village at the bottom of the pool filled with its ghostly parishioners and so the the uh, the sin eaters the characters and guys can go for, go on and find out what they need in order to resolve something in the modern day world i think that's a an, a, e- a very easy thing you can do with that kind of idea that would work well with Wraith as well, uh, for similar for similar yeah. reasons. I mean, the Shadowlands reflection, uh, and you could throw in some of those kooky things from the Sea of Shadows as well, given the aquatic setting. That would work nicely. Oh yes, yes. Uh, I was actually thinking. Uh, I was struck by the fact that you have one village that was uh, washed away by floods, 
and a second one that was buried. I thought, what if mm. the characters discovered that there was a third one that was burnt and a fourth one that was flattened by a hurricane or a typhoon or something? So you can build up an interesting elemental correspondence there, and then it leads you on to all kind of uh, occult explanations as to why it might be happening. I thought of um, an archmage who is fleeing from village to village, and each time a different type of elemental theme paradox flattens the area where he tries to set up home. Uh, uh, yeah, that's really neat. Yeah, the good. characters kind of stumble onto it, and they have to make some sense of it, or you know, get him out of the real world and back into the Umbra before uh, before the fifth element turns up. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just putting this out of the air now. But uh, yeah, I think you could work you could work something quite cool out of that. Cool. Uh, I was thinking because uh, Vince mentioned Dima before, uh, the one village where they they start worshiping the old gods. Perhaps they were actually worshiping a an Earthbound, mm -hmm. and. Uh, by flattening the village, uh, maybe he was harvesting souls or, or something like that. Uh, perhaps they began to turn their back on the Earthbound and were going back to the uh, the main church, and he decided to just uh, uh, show the rest of his followers uh, what would happen if they betray him. Uh, so that's an idea. And uh, characters could uh, perhaps be doing some archaeological research or uh, some, maybe some uh, occult findings and uh, track down this Earthbound. Uh, in future games, so that could be interesting as well. Another one kind of uh, drawing on some inspiration that's in the Shadows of the UK for New that's World a great book. They explain my ideas. Well, the bit on Glasgow with the entire disappearing and appearing streets, the streets that parts mm. of Glasgow that are there and not there. Um, you could again have the idea that this village is you know, kind of appears and disappears. We could have it have a, the, the entire thing repeated in the modern day, and so kind of have a, a very Silent Hill kind of style uh, scenario. Mm. Yeah. But so you, you repeat the story, but modern day, and of course, yeah. it occurs, and then everyone's like, "Well, no one remembers that that village or town was ever there." Mm. And but then the mages obviously being able to perceive through reality in such a way are like well there actually was an entire village there with however many thousand occupants and they're now all gone why the hell's it disappeared? Yeah, excellent. The sort of abyss version of Brigadoon. Yes, <laughs> yes, very much <laughs> an abyssal version of Brigadoon. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about the whole bell thing, the ringing of the bell. Like uh, using for Vampire the Dark Age is a whole. Uh, the townspeople have this this myth that they have to ring the bell once a year, and for twelve hours, people have to figure out what's going to happen to one of the people in the village because they have to be sacrificed. And you have you can send your inquisitors out to figure out who's going to be killed or what the creature is that they have to summon. Hmm. That's kind of neat. Uh, so the the bell then serves as a sort of as a final like as a deadline to their. Uh... Uh, right. To their mission. They would ring the bell and then they'd have 12 hours to do something. You know, maybe yeah. summon some type of vampire or you know, summon some type of werewolf or. Yeah, actually, I really like that. I've been thinking about this idea in the game of, for example, what if you rang the bell like twice every hour? Uh, so it kind of ticks away the time as the uh, players are, are going through the adventure. Uh, I actually got this idea because I was, I was reading through someone's fan merit for Chuck Norris and, uh, <laughs> and he he sees a timer over everyone's head and it counts down until when he has to kill them um, but but that would be so cool because what if you're having a conversation and let's say let's say it's counting down it starts at 10 minutes 
and it's counting down as Chuck Norris is talking to this guy or the character with the Chuck Norris merit and it's going through and then it's like I have to end this conversation because it hits zero that means I have to kill him but if I'm away from him it's okay oh right right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah nice <laughs> have you seen, have you seen, I think it was a Twilight Zone episode called The Paladin of the Last Hour, or The Paladin of the Lost Hour, I forget. And it's a similar idea. It's, there's a guy, a guardian, who has a stopwatch, which on it has the last hour of, of time uh, remaining in the universe. And he has to kind of keep, he has to watch over this. And every now and then, he can, he can let the stopwatch go a little bit and use up a bit of that time, which suspends time around him, so he can go and do some things, but then he has to be careful not to use too much of this magic time up because that's all, that, all, that's, all that's left of it in the universe uh, wow. I think it might be kind of fun to have a um, uh, to have the bell somehow but like the bell accelerates the uh, uh, the deadline so if you only have 12 hours if someone can get to that bell and ring it a couple of times that can be cut down to 4 hours so the uh, so the antagonists are trying to ring the bell more frequently during the day, and maybe the characters mm. have to defend the, this this magical bell tower that could speed up time and you know hasten the sacrifice within you know within earshot of it within the village kind of thing. I don't know, that might be fun. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's it for the secret frequency, and uh, with that, let's move on over to the classic World of Darkness segment. Classic World of Darkness. Right, we, we've shown you how Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand is the best book in the World of Darkness canon. We have proven beyond any reasonable doubt that Samuel Haight is not cheese. And tonight, <laughs> we are going to show you how your game is not complete unless it includes World of Darkness gypsies. Yay! <laughs> okay, uh, the book needs no introduction if you're World of Darkness fan. It's one of the uh, the most notorious books in the game line. Um, the, the source of numerous controversies um, of an ethnic nature, which we're just going to wisely steer away from, I think. Uh, what I do want to do is, however, take a look at the book and, and break it down, and take some ideas out of it that you can scrub clean of uh, all political incorrectness and then enter into your game as a source of extremely cool ideas. Um, so we're going to start off with, uh, with something for uh, Vampire the Masquerade. Um, one of the nice things about World of Darkness Gypsies is that it gives you an alternate origin story for the Gangrel clan and any of the other clans that may be connected to them. The, the Lianan are, uh, are one good uh, example of this um, as an offshoot of the Gangrel. And it ties in particularly well with the Anoya myth uh, being a daughter of Lilith, so you can adapt it for those purposes pretty well. Um, now, the book also contains several interesting references to antediluvian vampires, including one that's possibly of the second generation. So if your game features those creatures, you can use this as a source of inspiration and information in that area too. Um, the Ivory City in particular is a great analog for the first or second city, depending on how you want to treat those in your game. For either Vampire the Masquerade or Requiem, you can repurpose the Rom, the gypsies, out of whole cloth and instead recast them as a new type of ghoul or revenant family. Um, and if you keep the Garden of Eden connection, you could have a revenant family that claims to date all the way back to the first city or earlier. Uh, obvious questions for your game and points of inspiration might be, who might this family be? Uh, who do they serve? What is the blood that actually runs in their veins? Are they perhaps the ghoul servants of the crone, guarding our secrets from primordial days? Uh, are they the last servants of a second-generation vampire who's now gone to dust? 
Or are they related to some other strain of undead, like the kindred of the East or the kindred of Africa? Hmm. Stepping away from a vampire, if you're a player of the mage game, another great idea to use from the book is the material relating to the seeds, which were taken out of, of the... Uh, the tree of life and knowledge from Eden and carried out into the world. Now here you have the makings of a really interesting legacy from Age of the Awakening, uh, specifically mages who guard secrets that were liberated from paradise from before the fall. Now that obviously ties in quite well with the Atlantis myth, and it can give you an alternate version of the mage's origin story. So for example, you could take the seeds of knowledge and instead reskin those to be connected to the five pentacle orders. So instead of an Atlantean origin myth, you have an Edenic story with five seeds stolen from the tree um, that become the ancestral origin points of these five orders that exist in the modern game. And it also helps explain why the orders keep recurring down throughout history. Um, Mark, I was just going to say that um, I read through recently uh, the Mysterium book, and right. that ties in absolutely perfectly with uh, the Mysterium is kind of like split into two two main factions. There's one which kind of like looks after knowledge and kind of like carried it out of from Atlantis. Then there's the other group which kind of looks for the magic that's emerging in the new reality as it's being reshaped after the fall. So yeah, that's a perfect, absolutely perfect match for them. You could have the link to the pentacle or you could just keep it very small and they could be um, the, one of the true orders or uh, legacies within uh, the Mysterium. Mm-hmm. Well, there's the, the, the second split that you mentioned there. There's those who bring it out and those who then observe it in the real world. Um, mm. There's a nice little family link. I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, that Brilliant. also ties quite well. Um, now, the, uh, the novel Weave World by, yes, you guessed it, Clive Barker, um, has something very much like this. Uh, Weave World features tribes of pre-humans who came into existence in Eden and then escaped over its walls into the world before humanity came into existence. So you could use something similar like this with the seeds of knowledge having been brought out of paradise uh, by things that were, in fact, not human at all. So maybe the origins of magic do not lie with human mages, but with pre-human bloodlines that early mages sought out for their wisdom and lore. Uh, you can link this in, of course, with Legends of the Fae, um, with the Golden Ones of Greek myth, or, or any number of other legends that uh, feature pre-human races with greater magical skill than humanity possesses. The, uh, the Gypsy Book is filled with hooks and ideas on that front, from their origin in the garden to a non-linear perception of time that gels extremely well with Mage the Awakening, um, to a kind of apocalypse-like event called the Convergence that can tie in well to, you know, Gehenna-type chronicles if you're using those in either version of the game. It's all good stuff. Um, finally, there's the obvious, which is the Gypsy Blood Magic. Um, strip it of its connections to real-world culture, and you're left with a great system for hedge magic, vampiric thaumaturgy, new realms and laws for changelings, or even a secretive blood cult amongst guru kinfolk. Um, there are four main types of sorcery used here. There's prophecy, cursing, mediumship, and talismans. So all of those can be repurposed with ease. They're all classic examples of petty witchery, um, seeing the future, talking to ghosts, making little magic trinkets, and giving your enemies the evil eye. Um, so those could easily fit your game of choice. But there are also, as I mentioned a moment ago, these family-based magic systems linked to the other main supernatural splats. So we have one family that has a set of abilities that mirrors some of the powers of the werewolves, um, another that's connected to the fae, a third that's kind of similar to the mind and time spheres of the mages, and a fourth that develops a general insight into the supernatural. So that last one there, for example, is a, is a really close mirror of uh, that Mysterium faction that you mentioned a minute, uh, a minute ago, Chris. 
Okay. Now you can you can lift these whole cloth out of the setting and plug them into your World of Darkness games. So you could develop each of these into a set of merits for New World of Darkness games, for example, and expand on the material presented in the second site book, which we reviewed some time back. Or you could use them as templates for mortal families or groups touched by the supernatural in small ways, but without needing to have full-blown path for sorcery for hedge magic. And this uh, section is probably one of the richest parts of the book, as it's pretty much crunch-heavy, and so you can divorce it from the setting fluff uh, with considerable ease. So yeah, I've been wanting to get onto Gypsies for quite some time, and uh, as you can see there, you, you do need to, to look past the um, various elements that some readers have found offensive. Um, but underneath that, you have a fan fascinating invented story uh, of origins in the Garden of Eden, lost paths and seeds of knowledge, and then a whole proliferation of really interesting elements of rules and crunch material uh, that can be plugged in pretty much as you wish for your game. What did you guys think? Have any of you had a time to look at Gypsies? Yeah, indeed I have. Um, so just to, <laughs> as you mentioned, Mark, you've been wanting to do this for a while. It's been over a year since we discussed it. Um, uh, that's about yeah. normal for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my notes are pretty old, but let's see what I got here. Uh, one thing I was thinking about is the uh, the origin story of uh, Danon and Dracian. I believe Dracian's the Ravnos Antediluvian yeah. or something. Yes. That story fits in pretty well with the, the Garden of Eden because uh, Danan uh, eats fruit from a tree and, and gets the seeds within her. Um, mm. And this actually really mirrors the Lilith story presented in Revelations of the Dark Mother. Dark Mother. Yeah, it's great. And I've always had this kind of theory that there is this, there's going to be this Lilith storyline to uh, Vampire the Masquerade, which was first introduced in... Uh, with the Lilins in Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand, uh, mm. and then continue with Revelations of the Dark Mother and uh, a couple other places. And I think they kind of dropped that. I think, uh, when did Gypsies come out? What year? Oh, it was... Um, it was a while back. It was probably yeah, around the Dirty Secrets geez. timeline. 95, 96, I think. Okay. Yeah, so, so I assume that they kind of got rid of that. Uh, if you want to work in the... Maybe not the, the gypsies themselves, but but some elements of that with the Bahari in that storyline. You could definitely go ahead with that. And there's some ideas for that in the book. Cool. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's not until, I think, Gehenna that the Lilith story really gets brought up again. That's for the final book of the line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another thing, uh, there's this kind of uh, throwaway comment that all gypsies are awakened and about 40% of them are marked by the elements. Uh, the blood magic works by being separated into different elements um or five elements i think it's uh, uh, you know earth wind fire water and spirit if mm -hmm. i remember correctly yeah so they're all awakened and they're all awakened from birth which is crazy i mean they'd probably be going nuts if they're young children and they're awakened to to the uh, true reality of the universe yeah um and they probably don't have at that young age a paradigm to use as kind of a reality anchor so I was thinking that you basically have this marauder society, which is forming, uh, if you go ahead with that idea. And that can provide you with some uh, new ideas for a mage or, or hunter or anything like that. There's the, the character of Alia in the Dune books is like that. She's awakened, I think, in the womb, actually, to these yes, kind yes. of superpowers and, and consequently goes, goes a bit nuts. So, yeah, very cool. Uh, that's about all I've got. But uh, any other ideas? Nope, guess not. <laughs> um, actually, oh, another thing. Um, and this is kind of interesting from a 
more historical standpoint. So, um, and it's actually good because we were, we mentioned sword and sorcery before TSR when they made, uh, when they're doing advanced zones of dragons, they had this campaign setting called Ravenloft, oh, which yeah. had the Vistanis, which were basically magic powered gypsies. Yes. Um, they made the same mistake that white wolf made here. And it's interesting to see that, uh, sword and sorcery, which was owned by white wolf as an imprint, uh, started releasing the third edition Ravenloft books and they changed it so that uh, the Vistani were this like separate race and not all gypsies were the Vistani and and stuff like that and really they did a very good job of like clearing that up and separating it and and fixing the uh potentially offensive elements yes well Mm. they learned they learned the hard way I think with uh, World of Darkness gypsies indeed cool I've got one idea that you could possibly do with the gypsies idea. Uh, you're saying about the seeds being carried out. Um, yeah. In in Promethean, obviously, each of the Prometheans is tied to one of the elements. And so what if um, the seeds, these seeds are actually representative of not one lot. It's kind of like a, a would be some way of creating a Promethean through actually planting a seed in a person. So it's kind of oh, great. plant-like. Mm. Um, and so you'd obviously have to work out some form of what their, um, oh, what's it, the disquiets they would cause. But then that would actually maybe be the reason why people don't trust the gypsies when they arrive, because it's due to this disquiet that's being created by, their, interesting. Uh, by the Prometheans. And if you want to go then with the seeds, and that you could, if you, that are taken from Eden, and the idea that, um, you said that. Uh, the, the relating them to this older race uh, in the Clive Barker book, then what if Prometheans created this way are actually the um, the Nephilim from uh, from old kind of mythology or Christology? Oh, yeah, with, right. Yes. With, um, was it? It's the the um, the meeting between like angels and humans. The, the Gregorian. Who, yeah, 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 yeah. That was just a random Excellent. idea to chuck out there. <laughs> That's a nice idea. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Nephilim's created by uh, by botany, by planting. Yeah, a botany one, which kind of relates into what we're going to talk about for New World of Darkness in a bit. Yes. So, there we go. <laughs> Good. Nice, nice segue. Okay, so there you go. Uh, World of Darkness Gypsies, um, thoroughly redeemed and uh, scientifically proven that uh, if you don't have it in your game, your game's not complete, and you're probably not a true fan of White Wolf. Um, the only <laughs> the only other one, the one that I think we need to do at some point is, uh, is Midnight Circus. And, um, <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I don't have my physical copy, but um, I now have an excuse to uh, get that re-downloaded then. Brilliant. Yes. So with that, let's move on over to the new World of Darkness segment. World of Darkness 2.0 So Chris, what are you going to tell us about today? Um, it's We're going to talk about not really a book or uh, for New World of Darkness, but more something that was kind of thinking about, which is World of Darkness and Science, or as I've called it, World of Darkness and the Science of Evil. Um, because I was kind of like sitting there thinking about World of Darkness, both new and old, and how uh, often World of Darkness presents the ideas that many of the thing, many of the creatures and uh, antagonists within all the books have uh, been kind of uh, associated with some sort of scientific explanation. So the fey and the lights are created when some weird fey lord is going around uh, terrorizing humans. Often 
that's not seen as being the Fae, but say a UFO or aliens or something. And other creatures are maybe called cryptids or and so forth. You can go down. There's always a scientific explanation for what uh, the supernatural creatures of the world of darkness are. But I find that sometimes that cheapens what science can provide uh, within World of Darkness. Science could really be a true source of its own original horror. Or also, it can interact with the, the supernatural and paranormal to create things that are very different altogether. Um, I think one of the best examples uh, to begin with is um, the idea of Prometheans that, are power, that have their source of, of their power comes from nuclear energy and also within the Promethean books uh, there are explanations of clones and of also uh, creatures that are um, Prometheans which are animated um, android type uh, creatures so that's really where I want to kind of start off is is the idea that science can also create its own original horrors um, other examples of these things that have turned up in books is uh, in the Chicago book for New World of Darkness. There's a throwaway sidebar about Bell Laboratories. Uh, for people that aren't too aware of what happens at Bell Laboratories, it's a wonderful uh, place where they do great physics experiments. One of the things they have there is a particle accelerator. Now, if you were listening to the news of like uh, when they were setting up the Large Hadron Collider at CERN in Switzerland and France, um, there was the worries that it would cause a black hole to be formed. And <laughs> one of the things that's in the Chicago book is that at Bell Laboratories, people go missing or strange things occur because this, these, the, the devices they're creating, these scientific, you know, uh, giant physics experiments, are like tearing holes in reality uh, and allowing strange energies to come in and entities to both enter and leave. Um, and of course, these things, when you, when you consider that, that science can cause that to happen and have that, have that as a story hook in your game, you're then led onwards to when the two things meet and get all a bit twisted up. And one of my favorite things is in uh, Night Horrors Wolfsbane, which is an expansion book in New Order Darkness for Werewolf, where it explains some stuff to do about with the, uh, the Idigum. Uh, the Idigum are ancient spirits which were banished from Earth by uh, the great wolf, by Father Wolf, and when I, when they say banished, he threw them, he got rid of them, and banished them to the moon, so they were no longer on Earth. And these spirits were there on the moon, and of course couldn't really do anything, they had no way of getting back. But they weren't alone. Every so often, a small meteor or something would hit the surface of the moon, and with it, rode a spirit from some alien part of the cosmos. And so the Idigam obviously consumed them, and of course the Idigam go through various changes due to the, what they consumed, like all spirits, they became a form of Magath. And so they're, they're taking on elements of these, uh, these alien spirits. And then it's only in the, to spoiler alert here of what's in uh, about the Idigam, they return eventually uh, during the 60s because of all the uh, you know the Apollo missions to the moon finally the Idigam are able to consume spirits that are associated with the concepts of space travel with rockets and and so with with that kind of with those spirits within them consumed they then finally had the ability 
to leave the moon and return to Earth. So that's where I was kind of starting with what I was kind of musing about is that science can interact with with the paranormal and create some very strange kind of combinations. Um, a few story ideas I had were such as um, a person has a has an organ transplant, so you know they have a, a new liver, or by some miracle uh, they have a, a finger replaced or an ar- a whole arm replaced. But what if that organ came from a werewolf? Does that lead to the start of a slow, strange <laughs> transformation? Do they go murderous, or does that oh, that single limb undergo transformations? Cool. Did well, I that steal that me... one from Angel? I've been, t- I've been told. Did I steal that one from Angel? I think it was <laughs> it was it was inspired by Lindsay's new arm. But um, I was going down the route of just reading through night um, through. Um, <laughs> What was it? Blood of the Wolf? Is that the right book? Am I thinking the right book? Yeah, anyway, the one that tells you about how werewolves actually work. Um, okay. Another idea was what happens if you clone a changeling? Do you get something that's more like a fetch? Um, mm. What happens um, with if a spirit for some reason kind of interacts with a sp- the spirit of quantum teleportation, the very concept of that? Um, do you get some new spirit that's able to tr- to spread itself around? Um, here's another one. Um, a signal comes from deep space. What if that and it and the pattern it forms, the signal is Atlantean in origin? What does that say about about magic? Or does it simply mean that Atlantean magic is more um, universal and that? The Seers of the Throne have re- only really created a cage around Earth and not around the rest of the universe. Oh, that's um, really cool. And here's another one: uh, a supernova sends out energy in the form of flux to Earth, which awakens Pandorans. Cool. So cool. I was just going to throw that out as an idea because it's obviously applicable to old world darkness. But most of my original ideas for when I was looking at this came from many of the new world darkness books. So. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, it, I, I think it works really well. I mean, I'm a I'm a big fan of of uh, science and horror, especially where they overlap to form, you know, like the whole kind of body horror genre. I think there's some oh, really yeah. nice ang- angles of of, of science science led horror in that. Um, I was when you were talking about the you know the kidney transplant just now, I was reminded of that adventure at, at the beginning of um, Urban Legends that I, I go on about this all the time. And I can never remember the name of the adventure, but it's an Urban Legend, and it's the one where you the character wakes up in the bath and he's missing a kidney. Um, <laughs> And it's uh, it's struck me as a great hook for that, where there's various reasons given um, for why the kidney's been taken. But yeah, if you've if you've been given a kidney transplant that's, that belongs to some werewolf, uh, what if the rest of, the, of its of its pack want it back to give it a proper burial? You know, <laughs> uh, that could uh, so you know that could be another reason to for someone to come along and take your newfound kidney away from you. Um, the Edigam thing. Uh, I, I I thought about that as well, but uh, I didn't connect it to uh, to the Itagam. But I was thinking of the piece in the original World of Darkness Blue Book, the the core book on the God mm-hmm. Machine. Oh yeah, that goes on. Yeah. yeah, that goes on about them. Uh, don't they in that? I think they find the Angel of Death on the Moon and bring it back yes. with one of the Apollo yeah. missions. Uh, and it, then it gives the uh, the people who bring it back power over death. So I think that would be a fantastic angle. I just love the whole idea of you know. 2001, Dark Side of the Moon, you find this enormous black monolith or, or whatever it happens to be, you know, one of the Idagam, the Angel of Death, something something horrific which gets a channel back to your world through the powers of science, you know, whether you want it or not. 
um, another crazy thing. I another story hook which I uh, two well two story hooks which I was just going back through my notes here. Um, one kind of related to the supernova idea is um, what about ghosts from other worlds that could be brought here by a comet? So kind of using the spirit idea with the Idigan, but you know you've got a chunk of rock here from some dead planet, and with it's come alien the spirits of aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was I an mean, X-Files, what the hell does that X-Files mean? episode about that. They had an um, X-Files episode in X-Files season two, I think, where there's a uh, a, a shuttle pilot or a, an Apollo pilot who saw one of these ghosts. He saw a space ghost, basically. Uh, and yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really kind of messed him up. Um, I think it was one of the first X-Files I ever saw that episode, really. Uh, of course. Cool. Um, the one thing we've not spoken of immediately is... Um, a, is vampires when um, within the covenant book for uh, the Carthians, an entire section of that, uh, uh, kind of a subsection of them, is the Night Doctors, who are a group of vampires who use true, who are using true scientific methodology um, to understand the, the kindred condition. So they're very different to the Ordo Draco, who are more kind of that kind of Victorian occultism. Um, and alchemy. These are the night doctors are actual scientists, and you then you have to think, well, you've got a bunch of scientific kind of vampires, minded vampires. Um, what do you do when you allow them to have access to stem cell research and yeah. uh, and being able to grow in petri- in a petri dish flesh? Um, didn't didn't Daybreak go into that a little bit? That mo- was Daybreak exactly. was the movie. Yeah. yeah, and in Blade, of course, you you have a have a hint of that where you've just got vampires. Using science for all the wrong reasons, where they they're literally you know harvesting blood. Yeah. Um, I don't know other well, that, books that kind of hints on this in Old World of Darkness even. Um, um, a little bit, but it's the world, Old World of Darkness does, does suffer a little bit from the category problem, and and as you mentioned earlier on, yeah. things tend to be put in identifiable categories, and it's very there's not as much room for these kooky unknowns that New World of Darkness has. Um, but certainly a, a neogenetics amalgamated in Werewolf, um, a bunch of the stuff in uh, Project Twilight that ties very closely into this. Mm-hmm. And Werewolf is one of the main games where you see it. You get it, of course, in Mage, um, but it's almost mm. entirely purposed under the technocracy there. Um, and so the, the horror elements are downplayed um, over the, uh, the kind of um, philosophical Ultra elements. Science, yeah. yeah, exactly. But when you mentioned Doctors... Um, I, I immediately thought of Dr. Channing in the second Hellraiser movie, uh, whereas this this oh, human yes. doctor who's just pumped full of Cenobite technology and, and let loose in the world. And that led me on to think about the Prince of 100,000 Leaves, from I think he's in the Boston source book, the yes, whole Red World yeah. the the bleed over from another reality. And I thought it would be fantastic to have practitioners of science in this world who are somehow getting hold of or being influenced by or are suffering bleed through from the science of another reality which just doesn't work like it's supposed to here. And every time you try and use it, awful things happen, but these guys are becoming increasingly obsessed by it. Um, I don't know if you've seen Dead Ringers by David Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about a couple of gynecologists who go a bit mad. And one guy in there, toward the end of the film, he's going completely off the deep end. He invents all these custom-made gynecological tools, and they're some of the most hideous things you've ever seen. You know, you can't, really can't imagine having this thing inserted in the kind of places that he's planning to put it. Uh, and just the whole shape and form of these objects that he comes up with always makes me think of this is something that has slipped into our world and it doesn't really belong here because nothing in Earth has that anatomy. Um, mm. So I think you could, you could get a lot of, uh, lot of mileage out of that kind of thing. I think um, the important thing that I was trying to get is that you could easily 
it's very easy with World of Darkness to, as you say, to to um, to categorise something as, oh, well, that's obviously a spirit, or that's obviously a ghost, or that's obviously a strange werewolf creature, etc., etc., etc. And sometimes mm. it's kind of it, the nice thing about the, the 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 new World of Darkness core book is it it presents the idea of you have no freaking idea what that is. It could literally be some monstrosity born of science gone wrong it's not it's not due to um you know it's not due to flux it's not due to the powers from beyond it's not due to azoth it's not due to mana it's not due to any of these things it's simply biology gone freaking mad or insert whatever you know field of science you want to go crazy yes yeah, and that, that could be more terrifying than than anything else is because it actually is following the rules and it's just gone it's just you didn't realize how far the rules went and it's the rules yes. are all valid <laughs> it's just that you don't know which part it's playing with anymore yeah excellent very cool uh vince mark you wanna uh mike you wanna end off on anything on that or oh yeah definitely so you know, a lot of these, like, classic uh, classic tropes, you know, they've got the mad scientist, which really isn't a scientist, usually a mad engineer, really. Now, for those of you that don't know, I am, uh, by degree, a civil engineer. And, you know, us civil engineers are really bitter that there's these mad engineers that have their <laughs> robots and their ray guns. And, you know, we don't really get any, uh, get any of the airtime, you know, us mad civil engineers. <laughs> so then it hit me when I was running one day. Uh, could... Sorry, but that's all the time we have this week. And Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. So if you wanted to have a civil engineer that went crazy and did like evil stuff, you got to go back to materials mechanics. You're not going to make any like crazy evil concrete or, or you know, steel girders or anything. You're going to have, let's say, it's effectively what they're going to do is something like flesh crafting for the Zamitsi, they would be able to torture someone by, uh, say, stretching their bones, but not putting enough stress or pressure in to break it, and manipulating their flesh like that. Uh, the idea kind of actually came from, as well, the uh, one of the Saw movies. There was a guy being tortured, and like his... his uh, I don't know why I was watching this movie. His leg got snapped... But it got, I noticed it got snapped in the wrong place, and I started thinking of the uh, material mechanics of bone. Um, so I don't really know where I'm going with this, but if you wanted to have an evil civil engineer, just think about that. Just think about it. <laughs> That's excellent. That's really cool. Yeah, I think so. that takes me back to body horror. Anything that it inflicts outrages upon your physical form and you can't understand why it's doing it, uh, that is that's one of the hearts of horror for me. I think that would work extremely well. Thanks, guys. Now, now thinking of body horror, I'm now thinking about the, mo- the movie The Human Centipede. Great. Oh, oh yeah. I, haven't, I haven't watched that. I, I, I got a copy of that the other day, and I haven't watched it yet. No, it don't, don't do it, Mark. <laughs> don't do it, please. Stomp on it, burn it, get rid of it, do not watch it. Oh, wow. No, oh, Mark, see this. No. Mark, no, 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 I'm telling you. <laughs> It'll give you nightmares after watching it. I watched 2012 the other night, and it can't be stupider than that. No, twenty was like you know going through a walk in the park with a cotton candy on your arm or something. But Whew. human centipede is going to leave a mark on your brain for the rest of your life. Cool. Especially, <laughs> they made especially they made a second one, which is even more gross. Oh. 
I watched that one too, but you know. Oh wow! All right. Okay. Well, I think we're running out of steam on this segment, so uh, let's let's kind of move over to the you know closing segment. Um, talk to Vince a bit. Vince, you want to uh, kind of talk about your podcast a bit more? Plug them a little bit. Uh, no. uh, I'm personally a big fan of Roll for Initiative. You guys have some really cool discussions on that, and uh, you've had some great guests too, like uh, the guy from Hardcore History. That was that was an awesome one. I, that was actually yeah, I was a friend of Jason's. He actually knows that guy pretty well, and he got him to come on the podcast for a couple minutes. That guy's really busy. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, Roll for Initiative. We started one day uh, as Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. I just said, you know what, there needs to be a podcast for this. So I recruited a bunch of people, and we started doing it. And like two years later, now we're still growing. That's fantastic. And there wasn't an AD&D podcast at all before this. No, not at all. Not even. And we and we even did a classic Dungeons and Dragons, you know, the, the old box set one. No yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. That's still growing for almost a year now too. And we we're we're located at osrgaming.org is our forums where you okay. can find old uh, wild game production stuff. Oh cool. Cool, cool. And you've got um the actual plays going as well? Yeah, we have uh three four different actual play podcast styles you can listen to. Mine, another host, another host and then a community made one. Cool. So cool. if you've never played first edition or classic, you can go jump in there and just listen to see how it's played. We don't explain how it's played, we just play it and you can get the by listening. You can pick it up. Yeah. Okay, and so if people if people wanted to drop you a line, where could they reach you? On uh, Facebook or Twitter or email? Oh sorry. <laughs> <laughs> get out. <laughs> Mark, you know, I'm disappointed in you because I've been listening to the catching up with the shows. You lost uh-huh. your buzz. Well, you know, you can't you can't overuse the pause, Vince. You know, you, you can't over, uh, you can't overdo it. The pause is very temperamental. He doesn't like to be uh, dragged in. Radio Gmail dot com. Next, let's move on. I'm like Mark. What happened? <laughs> just just <laughs> phoning it in, really, isn't it? I know. <laughs> I, was like, I, was, I was waiting for the Darker Days Radio at Gmail dot com. Uh huh. Now you can RFI staff at Gmail dot com, or you can contact me. Uh, OSR Gaming on those forums. I go by Lord Nikon on there. Okay, cool. Good stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, Vince. Uh, I also, I saw your post on Shadow Nessence, uh, the World of Darkness forum, about the, the demon LARP rules that you were kind of interested in. Yeah, I started, after finding a bunch of stuff, that I noticed there was no demon LARP. So I started gathering up all the information I could possibly get, and I was starting to write some stuff up for that. Oh, cool. I found out I'm moving to Texas, and there's a big, giant, huge World of Darkness LARP group there. Uh, they they do Sabbat uh, LARP, they do the Requiem LARP, they do the old classic World of Darkness LARP, they do um, Mage LARP, Werewolf LARP, everything. It's right wow. in the Dallas area. Cool. What are you doing in Texas? Um, living. <laughs> okay. Uh, IT work is uh, Texas has a better economy as far as uh, information technology, so that's why I decided okay. to move there. And it's warmer as well. Oh yeah, there's no snow and no. less idiotic people there. Michael yeah. Moorcock lives in Texas. Who? Michael Moorcock. Oh. <laughs> He's, I stalk him when I'm not stalking Clive Barker. You have to mix it up. <laughs> Good to see you still <laughs> talking the same usual people, Mark. Yeah, yeah, same old, same old. <laughs> Actually, I've been. Uh, I it was funny. I I went to this uh, pen and paper games dot com forum. 
I changed my status to uh, Texas where I'm living, and I put up that I wanted to play Vampire of the Dark Ages. I got seven emails within an hour. Of That's fantastic. Watching. Wow. Whoa. I don't think there were even seven people left in England playing that game. I don't, I, I'm surprised. I was like, I, I like, I like <clears throat> Vampire the Dark Ages. And no one plays it because, you know, they all moved on to Dark Ages Vampire. And like seven emails, people were like, oh, I want to play. Mm. Awesome. Yeah, it's a great game. That and Hunter and Demon. So I'm going to be full of World of Darkness playing as soon as I get there. Well, Texas is the place to be for the SeaWorld community. Great. <clears throat> Apparently. Yeah. Cool, cool. I picked up a whole bunch of stuff at uh, Gen Con. I did pick up, uh, what was it, Vampire Dark Influences. It's a card game, oh. I believe. Oh, right. I don't have that. Mm-hmm. I, I got it at Gen Con for like five bucks. Someone had it on the counter. I'm like, ooh, and I grabbed it. Nice. Well, you have to do a little review for that and let us know how it, how it plays. Yeah. And I, I also saw Vampire is a Prince of the City or something? Or like a board game? Yeah. Oh, I've that's right. That. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. And it was apparently it was originally supposed to be a Vampire the Masquerade board game, and you can find like uh, the Masquerade rules on Board Game Geek if you're uh, kind of interested in that. So it's oh, it's pretty, pretty cool. Neat. Yeah, I sort of half price books. I'm like, oh, I didn't know they had a board game too. Now there's yeah, a um, yeah. there's a board there's the board game Prison City, <laughs> and then there's the um, the non collectible, you know, the, just the normal card game as well, isn't there? I think. <laughs> Which is for Requiem as well. Yeah, that's the uh, Dark Influences. That, that's, that yeah, yeah, got. okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm really... I'm kind of bummed that they're not making any more board games, it looks like, because they're switching to, like, PDF only, pretty much. Print on um, demand or, or PDF, oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah print on demand. Uh, I mean, it would have been pretty cool, maybe, if they could do... Because, like, they can do POD card games now um, at a lot of places. Maybe not through Drive-Thru RPG, but oh, other wow. people do that. That'd be yeah, really good. Yeah, yeah. So it would have been awesome if they did that for, like, Vitesse or something or, you know, maybe with Werewolf 20 coming out, maybe we'll see new Rage cards after Ooh. 15 years or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I'd buy that. Great. That was cool. At Gen Con, I was playing, because uh, Chris was mentioning uh, Angel and Buffy before, I was playing uh, Buffy the Vampire's collectible card game at Gen Con. And there were actually people selling new versions of the card game there at Gen Con that they went through a print shop and made up on their own. So uh, was, excellent. With all 12 people that play it. That's really nice. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, guys, I think that's uh, it's pretty much it for this episode. So, um, uh, Mark, where can people reach us? Radio <laughs> at gmail.com. Are you are you happy now? Are you happy now? It's <laughs> <laughs> a little robotic and a little bit, you know, uncalled for, but we'll, we'll let it go. <laughs> All right, cool. And uh, of course, uh, Darker Days is on Facebook and Twitter, Darker Days Radio, and uh, yeah, definitely uh, drop us a line if you have any questions or comments. We always love feedback. Um, one thing I've been looking at lately is uh, we haven't gotten any iTunes reviews in like ages. Uh, not for maybe like 18 months. So uh, please stop by and give us a, a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And if you want to give us something other than a five-star review, uh, you should totally not yeah. email us some uh, constructive criticism. How about that? It's really, really wrong. Yeah. Like we do on my show, we say you leave whatever you want. We'll read it. We don't care. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we're not that nice. 
No. If some people left us one stars and we read it, you know, whatever. I don't care. All right, cool, cool. All right, so, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, Vince, it was awesome having you on. Thanks so much, man. Well, thanks for inviting me on for the one special show here this year. Uh, great to talk to you again, Vince. That was a lot of fun. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, Vince, like, considering you were there at the start and I'm the newbie here. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll cross paths again sometime in the future. Yes, indeed. All right. So long and good night. Bye. Take care, guys. Bye.